0: Hello, and welcome to IBM Biweekly, weekly a podcast focused on the technical aspects of an IBM I operating system and the community surrounding it. My name is Josh, and with me is co-host Liam. Today is the 7th of April, 2019, and we have episode 4, IBM DB2 for I, in store for you. Uh, we have Scott Forsty as a guest, and the topics for this episode will be uh, what DB2 is uh, the IBMI and DB2 integration uh, or interconnection, if you will, will cover Index Advisor and a lot of other technical stuff. And with that, we'll head on into the sponsor spotlight.
1: Yep. And so uh, our sponsor for this episode is ibmicompetence.com. IBMI Competence is a provider of competence and courses around the IBM I platform. Previous, in, uh, previous courses include uh, RDI with Charlie Carino and Advanced SQL for D B two for I with Begita Hauser. You can contact them for a free hour of competence planning for you or your team, and you can sign up for their free newsletter at IBMicompetence.com. Great. All right, that was great. Uh, I guess we can go straight into the to the
0: yeah, because yeah, there's no news for this episode, so uh, which allowed us to have a little bit longer of a discussion with uh, Scott Forsty, so that's great, actually. Uh, for those that love a technical podcast, we have one in store for you, so get ready. Yep. And with that, we'll head on into the conversation with Scott Forsty.
1: Okay, so Scott, thank you for joining us. In- You're welcome this uh episode we appreciate it big time i thought we'd um we'd start off with just some simple questions you know uh, actually first of all you know who are you and what do you do at ibm other than what we know of course so how would sure. you describe yourself
2: oh you know, well um i lead the db2 fry database development team uh, which is located in rochester minnesota and beijing china so uh, me and my team what do we do we we build and maintain uh, DB2Fried for I'd on all releases and uh, current, past, present, and future. Um, part of my job is uh, I get to involve some creativity and planning about what should be added, what should be improved. Uh, to help me do that part of my job, I I get out of Rochester from time to time and, and talk to clients about what th- they can do with the database and then try to be a good listener, of wh- what would they like to do that they can't, or maybe some of those frustration points. How how can we address those in the database? That pretty much sums up um, what I do at IBM. That's cool,
1: and I, I mean, I do see you more, more so, more often than in late in later years. You've been speaking at <laughs> more conferences, and we keep bumping into each other in these random places. So
2: I love doing that it's it's yeah. a lot of fun uh, most of the time uh, the reason why i love it is you see you see the the instant reaction from the people about what they can do like today and and they they talk to me after sessions i sh- i'm sure you get this too and they say i i can't wait i've got this list of things i i want to go go work on it right now
0: right i um i've always thought you're probably one of the most public <laughs> database <laughs> architects i've ever met um and, and it, well you're the only one i've ever met so maybe that's testament to it <laughs> it, it uh, is intentional josh yeah, yeah so thanks, thanks for saying that yeah so um on the same around the same topic could you give us a little bit more about your background
2: and what got mm-hmm. you into ibmi yeah so my background is I studied computer science almost by accident at the University of Minnesota. It was between that and mathematics. And as soon as I got into the uh, the, the computer science um, kind of uh, college, I was just intrigued by it all. Um, I always loved problem solving and, and logic. And this would just, uh, it definitely struck a chord with me. Um, but at, at the U of M, they had us choose a, an area of focus. And my area of focus was um, artificial intelligence. And this was the mid 80s. So they, we were doing oh. expert systems and things like that. I was programming in, in Lisp and Prolog and and getting to love parentheses and getting to match them up and stuff like that. And um, I left the, the U and was looking for for employment and I had, had many options. I went with IBM working on the uh, mainframe, uh, IBM uh, the Z um, and I brought the was part of the team that brought the Unix operating system to the mainframe. Um, so part part of that was you know just just programming and and um, learning how how does uh, you know enterprise class operating systems work. You know what are some of the the, the The things that the software developer needs to to really do to to thrive in that environment And again it's the kind of stuff that that I just love doing um, working um, in a collaborative environment where you're you're doing problem solving and and seeing what clients want to do they want to you know the, <laughs> the client experience um, can be summed up quite easily it's like um, they want it to work That's obvious they they, they want it easy. Um, And it oh, by the way, it should be, it should scale and perform and be secure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It sounds so simple, but when you get into it, uh, it can be quite complex. Um, So my my career has, I found my way to Rochester in early um, 90s, like 94, and did open edition uh, kind of Unix stuff for IBM I. Um, My team brought Q shell and other Unix things to, to oh. the AS 400. Yeah. So we oh. had a great team. And oh. one day I went to my boss and I said, okay, well, this is kind of getting boring. I need a new challenge. <laughs> and you should have seen the gleam in his eye. He's like, Oh, we have got something for you. Would you great. like to go to database? I said, well, sure. Wow. Yeah. So I came to database as the SQ team leader, not knowing anything about database, but knowing a lot about <laughs> how, how I thought, Um, software development should be done, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I was, I was doing daily build, daily tests, all that kind of stuff. We didn't call it agile, but we were, you know, I had already embraced that kind of uh, methodology Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't want, want to wait years. I wanted to see it today. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. All those kinds of things were already part of my um, DNA, as you could say. And so I learned database as I went and, but I brought my, my style, my approach to, to this team and i think that then we started to see a transformation of um the db2 for i from being maybe um slower moving to faster moving and over time i've i've gotten some good feedback from people that they they kind of notice that it's like oh you know these these you have frequent updates and some sometimes it's smallish things and which doesn't mean they're not important um and sometimes it's big things um so it's a, it's it's a real joy working on this sort of thing with with my teammates and and colleagues
1: that's interesting so you've actually started in just software development to mainframe and then just managed to end up on database on (laughs) as400 at the time and then just in database out of pure chance i suppose so one one thing you did mention was just db2 and i think we have we we are known to have listeners that aren't fully ibmi aware and so this is mm-hmm. part of the podcast is explaining some of the terms so you said db2 so could you maybe um explain sure. db2 for in layman's terms at least just db2 in general yeah. yeah
2: it's a good good thing to get clear so db2 is what ibm calls a family of databases db2 for i is a specific database for the i. that's that's the database that i work on um, other parts of the family are DB Two L U W Linux, Unix, and Windows, and DB Two Z or Z for Z in the mainframe. Now, DB Two for I is different than a lot of databases in the industry, and in, in some key ways, um, the IBM i is integrated operating system, object-oriented operating system, and as such the database is included in the operating system. You don't install it. You don't turn it on and off. It's ever present, always there, uh, always running. Um, and it just works a little different than um, than some other databases in that regard. It's not not an add-on thing. Um, and how you interact with it is the same as other databases. You know, we we love working on standardized technologies. We see high value in those so sql would be the language of the database so if you if you know sql you can talk to db2 for i and and have a have a good day um we also have since we've been around for a long time before we had sql we had something called a native database access or record level access oh where you're, where you're not using sql so we're very unique in that way we have one that's you know based upon industry standards that we you know, think we have some of the best support for that that standard SQL, and then something that's quite proprietary but very efficient and and broadly used is record level access. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so during that, you mentioned that IBM i and DB2 are interconnected in a way. I was wondering if you could elaborate what mm-hmm. that means, especially versus other operating systems and databases.
2: Yeah, um, so it's 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 unique to our architecture, and it really seems to have been a a, a good choice of of how to how to how to structure the AS four hundred that's now turned into the IBM i over these years. Um, I say that because um, um, anything that has a longevity in in computer industry and in IT industry of of over thirty years must be doing something right, and how it works under the covers is, as an integrated operating system, what that really means is um, we have something called a technology-independent machine interface. Some people call it the TIMI. Um, you'll frequently hear people call it the MI. So the MI layer mm-hmm. delineates between XPF, that's above, and SLIC, license internal code code, be- below now, the stuff below would handle things like uh, storage management. It's probably the easiest one to understand, storage management. Um, so as, as um, storage devices have changed over the years and customers you know, decide to adopt different storage devices, we don't have to change the entire operating system. We only have to change um, the, the portion of the storage management below the MI the rules of engagement for those things above the mi like um the database operating system code would would remain the same they're they're asking for generic things like give me some space okay here you go get your thing done um so um i don't know if that's made sense talking it without waving my hands Uh, (laughs) but but uh the nice thing about the the operating system is that we adhere to this this idea that we shouldn't break customers. Um, so this this Timmy layer and having organized XBF and Slick allows us to also give interfaces to our users, our, our ISVs, our customers, such that they can use an API interface and know that if they've built that program, that program is going to continue to run over time. They're not going to have to 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 recode it, um, uh, just because the operating system wants to improve.
1: Wow, you, you, you. So we actually asked Steve Will a similar question, but I feel mm-hmm. as if that was a, a more technical answer, which is obviously what I love. So I'm very, I was very happy with that answer. Just to clarify, um,
0: well, I, I, I mean, it was a good answer, but I'm curious. Uh, So let's say like, if I get a Linux machine, Mm -hmm. I then have to install MySQL later. I'm not trying to versus an operating system or anything here, but just to give a person that's in another industry an idea, uh, the stack comes fully integrated on IBM. You have IBM and DB2 (laughs)
2: fully integrated together. This is a key point, Josh, because... um... You know, on other operating systems, you decide whether you're going to have security. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> on IBMI, there's no choice. You've got it. Now, whether you fully utilize it becomes a more interesting question. Um, you know, I was, I was talking to a, a group of attendees at a data security session I was giving. Um, this wasn't like last week. This was some time ago. And I I saw some confused looks on people's faces. So I I just stopped and I said, okay, how many of you have an audit journal? And only like two hands out of 20 went up. (laughs) So, and I was talking what I thought was more advanced topics of how how do you govern data? Um, Mm -hmm. And the basics of, they didn't even have the light switch turned on in the security room. Um, So it all depends on where you're currently at. Um, maybe what are the capabilities and the insights of your of your staff um, uh, whether you take advantage of this new database feature or not maybe isn't the most important thing to talk about. Um, maybe you have some basic things that need to be straightened out. Gotcha.
1: Okay, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna take a switch, and we're actually just gonna talk a little bit just about DB2 on its own, not necessarily about the operating system. Or maybe mm-hmm. this question will resolve around the operating system. But uh, DB2 services, or maybe they're known as IBM I services now. The naming is still not quite clear in the documentation. Um, why do we have them?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One, well, okay, maybe what are they? I mean, what are they? Why do we have them? And what brought them about? What was the reason we we got them in?
2: Okay, um, so the the genesis of this whole thing was I realized in is around 2010 um, we were in front of clients and we were telling them that they were making a mistake not to utilize user defined table functions and views. Um, after saying that a few times, I realized that I was a little bit of a hypocrite <laughs> because mm-hmm. we, in the, we in the database, we, we weren't using them. We were, just, we were just supporting them. We were just advocating for them. So I thought, OK, well, you know, what really seems to resonate with the community is if you show them working examples, if you show them working examples rather than abstract concepts, then uh, things just take off so so um and a real working example came into view then we were, uh the very first i think ibmi service was qsys2 tcpip underscore info or it or, or could have been ptf underscore info it's about the same time um, tcpip underscore info gives you one row back and tells you information about your tcpip connection you know like who am i what am i yep. um PTF info. Tells you one row back for each PTF that's in, uh, loaded or applied on your IBM. So one one speaks to the application developer more than the than the systems manager, and the other one speaks to systems management. And at that moment, we started to to enter into this this really exciting kind of territory of the the database, the query engine, and the language of the database SQL could be used for 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 topics that have nothing to do with real traditional database operations.
1: Now, they just, just be, before you yeah. go on, yeah. where does it get that information? So you said about TCP/IP information. Yeah. So <laughs> does that? What does that do? Does that? Is that using the same system APIs that say nets that would use or? It, you know, uh, are, we allowed are you asking know? me how
2: I implemented it?
1: No, I'm not. I'm not specifically <laughs> asking how you it. It's okay, you it can. Okay, maybe I am. Just okay. curious. <laughs> does it use the same information that existing APIs,
2: well, the system APIs have? or Some, Sometimes we use the same interfaces that you could use and anybody could use. Other times we use internal interfaces that nobody else can use. So every time we do one of these services, and um, just to clarify this, IBM i services are database provided SQL views, procedures and functions to interact with the operating system. DB2 for i services are SQL procedures, functions and views for the uh-huh. database engineer. Okay. Okay, that's the separation. Nice. Anyway, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. There's two two groups, right? We're talking to yeah. we. We first think about the users who who would care about this, and then we put it into the one category or the other. Um, answer your question, Liam.
1: Yeah, they did, and then okay. so I think you even answered why we have them because I I feel like you kind of mentioned that it's easier to almost access the same information through the through a query than it is to navigate. Well, then you can access it from anywhere, not just the 5250, for example. E- and easier and more powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I think you even mentioned about mm-hmm. what brought them about because you said in 2010 and so on. And that was pretty good. That was pretty good. All right.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that was uh, great information about db2 services. Um, so I think another good question for db2 for i that I kind of skipped ahead here cause I want to make sure we touch on it, but people have heard, uh, or maybe they haven't actually, I've run into mm-hmm. quite a few that haven't, but the index advisor for DB two for I, um, what is it and mm-hmm. how does it determine the indexes to create? And are these just suggestions or does the advisor actually implement anything? Okay. Um,
2: well, yeah, it's a really good topic. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of history with this one. Uh-huh. the The Index Advisor was born out of our work with moving from uh, the classic query engine into the SQL query engine. SQE is what everybody's um, pretty much using these days. And the SQL query engine had it, it. It has some amazing capabilities. It can. It can not only decide the best way to implement your query, but it can tell you what it thinks about it. <laughs> And one one of the ways it tells you what it thinks about it is, um, uh, because it's a cost-based optimizer. It's cost means that it's considering different implementations. It, if it if it recognizes that it couldn't cost a situation because an index was missing, that turns into advice. So it's it's simp- it's, it's that simple. The, the optimizer thought it should have been able to consider an implementation and it wasn't there. So there, there you go. There's some advice. We, we created a way for the optimizer to be able to hand that advice off so that it could be in a permanent repository for clients and and performance analysts and whomever to, to study. And um, that's what you end up seeing with the index advisor. There's, there's a file on every IBMI, qsis um, uh, qsys 2 sys is the physical file that you could just go query and you could see what kind of um, advice have we been getting from, from SQE. Uh, we've implemented tools and graphical interfaces to make that job easier through IBMI Access Client Solutions and before that System I Navigator being able to start from perhaps your favorite library or schema or your favorite table or, or um, physical file and see what is the specific advice here. You can, you can, you can see the advice and from the frame of reference of an important query that you're working on, or maybe you're trying to tune. Um, you can look in the plan cache, the ever present um, uh, information across the i partition of, of queries that have executed since the last IPL, and see instances of ind- index advice. So by by creating this repository, we actually enabled the database performance tuning action to be a lot simpler than it was before. And um, to to take it a step further, I created some tools in SysTools to automate this role of looking at advice and acting on it. So you asked, well, when do, when do these indexes get created? For, for the index advisor, the simple answer is never. Within SQE, it's a little bit more complex. After SQE has handed off the advice, it could decide to create what's known as a maintained temporary index, an MTI. That has really no direct intersection with the index advice. Um, other than you'd probably see the it being advised hey we created this temporary index advice 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 please create the permanent or at least consider it um, the the tools that I created in SysTools tools allow somebody to decide that okay here's the rule we want to deploy and we'd rather not have a person at a screen at the appointed time every week to do it let's let's automate it and mm-hmm. they and they can and some people are.
1: Okay. and this is built into the operating system
2: as it comes. Um, all the things are built in the operating system except for that add-on assist tool stuff right? yeah yeah but yeah the index that one advisor itself. yeah the index advisors there everybody has it you've you've all accumulated a lot of advice have you looked at the advice um, some people have database engineers who that's part of their job other people don't um, or maybe they um, the the management of their eye is something that they contract out so maybe the they have somebody on on Retainer that mm-hmm. looks at it. Um, there's all kinds of approaches.
1: That was a really good a- good answer. Yeah, I, I've been saying the whole time, and I. But the, uh, now I have to ask a different question, which is a, a slight turn from index advice, which is about mm-hmm. temporal tables because they have only been out for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um. More well, well, more specifically, the term temporal tables has only really been around for the last few years for DB Two for I. My real question is for the for the non-listers is what are temporal tables and the the answer the question afterwards is have they had a high adoption rate Mm -hmm. um and that that's it where those two what are they in are they used a lot are they not used a lot Uh, if you're even allowed to answer that question i suppose
2: (laughs) (laughs) well um so what 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 they are are um, a temporal table is when you've asked DB2 to manage the history of rows within a table. Um, we have lots of DB2 uh, for I technologies that we refer to as data centric. Data centric is you've you've asked the database to take over management of a specific topic, and this is one. Um, there are, are Previous approaches to this whole idea of what w- what did the row look like bef- yesterday or a month ago or a year ago? Um, and traditionally, I think the customers were were either managing their own history through triggers, so user-managed history, or they were leveraging data journals where some of the information is online at any point in time, but but, but not all. And they, they have to... Um, use some tool or technique to pull pull the information out of a data journal. So this this actually comes back to that theme of easy and integrated. Um, asking oh. the database to manage the history is easy. It's just a couple steps. And then getting the, the insight out of history is where it gets interesting because we can use SQL language in the query engine to do things we would never have done before. And I say that with a... With certainty there are some things with history that you would never do prior to this because it was just uh, too annoying or, or difficult um mm-hmm. in sql we have um, a way to 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 have our query travel back in time it's a, a for system time clause on your query you can look at different points in time or ranges or periods of time and then you can even pull in the query engine's capability to do built-in analytics within queries Right to to study uh, shape shifting over time, you know different windows, if you will, of 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 the artifacts of your business are the data. After all, there must be something interesting in there. Are you getting the full value out of the history? Or it, if you just want to have a simple way of getting back that undo button, right? Oops, we should not have done that. How how can we undo it? Okay, you know, insert from your history table you know, or update from the history mm-hmm. table. You've got that row back where, where it needed to be. Easy stuff. Um, the adoption rate part of it, uh, this this is an excellent question. We are always wondering here just how much something is being used. And the way I e- I know, I have two ways, and neither one is very good. One, people ask for it to be improved. There's something about it they, that they didn't, you know, think should be that way. Or, you know, they, they hit a problem, so neither neither one gives me a very good idea of how much it has been adopted. Um, it came out in 2016, so you have to be on IBM i 7.3 to use this. What do you have to pay once you're on 7.3? Well, nothing. nothing. It's built it's into good. DB2. Right.
1: That was that was. I just realized we asked the question. I re- and then my follow up question was going to be, is it built into the operating system and the answer,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. The SQL queries, yeah. right? So yeah. Well, it's yeah. it's a fun topic, and I uh, just talked about it at the RPG DB2 Summit, uh, yep. where you were as well, and I was saying, hey, why aren't you guys doing this? Nobody was raising, raising their hand, and like somebody was doing it that afternoon. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it's great. Yep. Cool. So uh,
0: I'm going to uh, risk going over time here because I don't think we're going to have much news for this podcast anyway, but uh, do you earlier you mentioned SQE, the SQL query engine. I was curious if, because uh, I feel like there's uh-huh. actually almost a, almost a competitive school of thought between people on <laughs> IBMI, and it's like, I feel like both have their use yeah. cases. So could you explain the difference for the classic query engine
2: and the SQL query engine and where they sure. are both used? Sure. Yeah. So... Th- it's been, I don't know, maybe about a decade we've been working on improving <laughs> SQE to handle every query or, or type of question of the database. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those clients who are on 7.2 and higher, actually, I would say the, the, the vast majority of your, your database questions are implemented through SQE. Uh, clients shouldn't need to care about this topic. Right. right. You ask the database a question using SQL or, or record level access and you get back the answer. That's the simple thing. The mm-hmm. more complex, um, you know, compare and contrast these things is, well, the CQE came first. SQE came second. SQE is far, far better. It has it has far more advanced um, uh, capabilities and logic. So there, there are some things, um, some features, if you want to use them, they only exist in SQE that's one one example another is um, the the whole idea of the the plan cache index advisor um, you know the, some some of the optimization techniques are all unique to SQE um, gotcha. so the at the same time CQE will never go away so if anybody right. says yeah they got rid of that they're, they're wrong C, right of course CQE is actually used for insert with values insert with values. There's there's really no question of the query engine. You're just inserting a row and and you gave the values to insert. It turns out CQE was already implementing that and we we saw no reason to change it to SQE. There was there was no advantage. And this brings up a reminds me of, of of some good advice. Um, when you're when you're looking at um, modernization as as scary as that abstract turn talks uh, sounds oh
1: god we're going to well, this is a loophole that keyword yeah no. you
2: know here ibm t- took its own advice you know look f- look for the smart places to invest don't just do it any old place of course don't just do it for doing it don't just it do has, it for doing it right they have a good value reason. Mm-hmm. and that's why insert with values goes through cqueak because it wasn't worth our time to change it yeah. So
0: CQE has been around pretty much since the beginning. Yes. And works. It does its job. It works fantastically. Record level access. Mm-hmm. If you're great at it then and it does the job then fantastic. But if you need more features and you want an advanced Swiss Army knife, SQE <laughs> is probably your best bet,
2: right? Well, yeah, and 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 like I I I mentioned, you, you don't use SQL differently. You just use SQL. Right. Yep. You know. And it's going to go through the query engine, and um, there you go. Great.
1: All right. Well, uh, like Josh said, we are kind of hitting it for time, but we will finish with uh, one last question, uh, which mm-hmm. is What do you do for fun outside of work? I need to clarify that now. Outside of work. <laughs> outside uh, of work. <laughs> uh, oh, what darn. do you do for fun outside of work? And what, do you have any hobbies and a current passion, perhaps?
2: Sure. Like to um, share with us? Yep. So, the the things i like to do is um i like to get outdoors so my wife and i will uh will hike or bike or whatever and then if if it's solo time, time i i like to go on runs so running is a hobby for me um, passion is um i like to cook that's me. Hey, on you and i guy.
0: need to talk scott yeah
2: you know my recipes are open source right are, yeah i do know that yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course they are <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll definitely talk you know uh you know food food is a celebration of of community mm-hmm. of life is so it's just great you know i i enjoy it. Cool. it you learn things about yourself and others through it and so it's it's a passion
1: Well, that was a more than fantastic answer, actually, because I'm (laughs) about to go eat after this time. Now I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I'm going
1: to go go eat. Well, Scott, (laughs) I I appreciate having you on, really. It's been really amazing. So thank you for your time. Oh, happy to do it. No, thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, so um, that was our our interview with Scott. And I I have to say, it was amazing. Um, I love Scott to pieces. I was lucky to spend just a few days with him, uh, in Charlotte last week. And I hadn't, I haven't seen Scott in, in long, in a long time. I say a long time, probably five or six months, but that's a, that's long enough to go uh, without Scott. Um, and he really does love cooking by the way. He's in, he does have an Instagram. It is Instagram.com forward slash meals on wheels, uh, meals on wheels guy. And I'll tell you something. He can cook
0: anyway hey, scott scott didn't give us instagram sponsorship what
1: do you do? i don't care he can get it he, it's <laughs> instagram it's it's not like it's a business account it's it's a cooking it's cooking
0: no he could be a cooking influencer liam how God. dare you underestimate he, he, scott. he could be he could be a cooking influencer and be making millions on there you don't know
1: he influences me to cook and i am not a good cook and i know <laughs> you can cook josh so i try my best you try um, your best so it sounds like you can't cook either then
0: no, I, I definitely can. Actually, I didn't want to brag, but I'm a fantastic cook. No, please. Uh, the best thing I can <laughs> really
1: make is a homemade lasagna, but it's not even homemade uh-huh. cuz I buy the sauce and the sheets. So. Oh, yeah, that's not that's not
0: the <laughs> definition of homemade, Liam.
1: <laughs> I'm not I'm not a good cook, so let's leave it at that. All
0: right. Well, well, y'all can talk about technical stuff and Scott and I will talk about cooking. So.
1: Yeah, I think that's fine. All right.
0: Well, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, As far as the coming episodes, we've been, we're still up in the air about those because we were trying to stick to an IBMI track of introducing things. So it'd be nice to talk about RPG next, but we're, we'll see. Uh, Just stay tuned, uh, follow us on Twitter and all those good social media accounts. And we'll be sure to keep you up to date on what we're going to be doing next. all right
1: thank you very much for listening we appreciate it um looking forward to having you back